Hello, friends. I'm Barry Corbin. I want y'all to be sure and watch on a regular basis, picking it out with Andrew Pope. You'll be amazed and entertained. Thanks very much. Well, it's another podcast. Gonna be picking it out. It's another podcast. Gonna be picking it out. No telling what kind of shit we're gonna talk about, cause we got Barry Corbin in the house. Yeah, and we're gonna be picking it out. Hey, y'all. Well, appreciate you tuning in once again to Picking It Out. My name is Andrew Pope. And thank y'all for continuing to tune in. Uh, We got a legend here on the show today that was kind enough to to grace us here uh man i i remember from the very first movies that i can remember or shows or anything this guy was in probably seven out of ten of them (laughs) (laughs) uh he's he's a a two-time emmy nominee as a member of the texas cowboy hall of fame a member of the Texas Film Hall of Fame. And he's been in everything from Northern Exposure to MASH to Dallas to Urban Cowboy, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. I mean, the list goes on and on. But uh, we got Mr. Barry Corbin. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, Andrew. I buy like that blues tinge you got on that guitar. <laughs> Yeah, people seem to kind of like that little that little ditty there to open the show up. I was trying to think of a theme song when I started doing this, and I no, thought, you don't need one. Just play, just play that, uh, play that little blues stuff there. Yeah, that's that's what I thought too. I thought, hell, I don't, I don't think I really need one. Too many people's got one. I just kind of yeah. guess it. Well, you uh, all this texas hall of fame stuff i guess people have figured out you're from texas if they didn't well, know already yeah i'm uh, i'm from texas i get a lot of texas stuff but i also got inducted into the hall of great western performers oh wow go up in oklahoma city uh-huh first inducted into that was tom mix and the next one inducted into it was gary cooper so i'm in pretty good company up there that's some damn good company. Uh, well, what part of Texas are you from? Well, originally I'm from. I was born uh, about sixty miles south of Lubbock, and uh, I grew up mainly in Lubbock and Austin, and uh, went away for 
oh, about 30 years, went to New York for 15 years, was in California for another uh, about 15 years. Finally, I decided I was tired of all that uh, moving around, so I just came back and bought me a place in Fort Worth. I've been sitting here ever since. I go off and do some work once in a while. Mainly, I just, I'm just i happy to sit at home. Yeah, I hear that. I'm glad you got out of New York and California. That's now me too. That shit's for the birds. <laughs> I, never did, uh, I never did fit in in either place too well. I used to walk around in my in my cowboy hat and boots in New York. People would come out of delicatessens and places say, you need directions anywhere? <laughs> <laughs> I'd live there longer than they had. And they don't know what sweet tea is either. No, they don't know what sweet tea is. They don't know what sweet milk is. So <laughs> I'll bring you milk. I, I'll bring you milk, but you got to put sugar in it. <laughs> Oh, uh, man. They probably don't even have a Cracker Barrel in New York, do they? Uh, no, if they do have, they'd run them off. Yeah, that's they the truth. They don't know what the ham is. That's the truth. What was it like, you know, you you, you hear about, like, uh, Texas back in the back in the good old days. You know, it's a little different now, I know, unless you get to them small parts of texas that kind of hadn't changed much but what was it like uh back in those days you know growing up there well i grew up out there in west texas uh it's about as flat as the table and uh i'd see these westerns and guys crawling around in rocks and over mountains and things I didn't think I lived in the West, even though cowboys would come in on, on Saturday and, and uh, tie their horses out on the courthouse square. But uh, I, I thought I wasn't, I thought the West was somewhere else. I thought that must be out at Tabasquez Rocks in California. Now people are building houses out there. Mm. Uh, it's not a good place to build houses because it's, it's uh, the natural uh, the natural environment for rattlesnakes. I don't want to build a house and have a rattlesnake for a roommate. No. Uh, talking about West Texas, was it around Littlefield where Wayland's from? Yeah, Littlefield. Yeah, Littlefield, Brownfield, all those fields. Sweet water is the only place you can get water that's possible to drink without putting whiskey in it. <laughs> You're talking about how flat it was. Uh, Sheer, you know Shearer Jennings? Uh, I, I don't know him, but I knew his dad a little bit. Oh, well, we'll definitely have to talk about that. This jockey on, uh, on uh, one of those, uh, KLLL, I think, one of those radio stations up there in Lubbock. Oh, okay. So I knew him then. I didn't know he was a singer until he opened for Elvis. Really? It, Fairport Coliseum. He come out and opened for Elvis. I thought he's better than Elvis. Holy shit! I didn't ever know he opened for Elvis. I don't even yeah. know Shooter knew that. Yeah, he opened for Elvis, and uh, when Elvis is on his way to California, I believe it was '56, on his way to California to do "Love Me Tender," he did a little, little run through uh, 
uh, Texas, and he played the Fair Park Coliseum, and uh, uh, and Waylon opened for him. Hmm. Wow. I heard Waylon one time say about West Texas. You talking about how flat it was? He said, "I think it's about the only place in the world if your dog runs off, you can still be two weeks later and you can still see him running." Yeah, you can still watch him <laughs> run. You can stand on a tuna fish can see New Mexico. <laughs> uh, man, I, I, I'm. I'm we, used to, we used to have sandstorms so bad that they was. Uh, sometimes you'd see a. You'd see a prairie dog tunneling about six feet above the ground. Have mm-hmm. that old sand coming in from New Mexico and Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. We traded off all kinds of stuff. Ben Johnson one time said, uh, some some woman said, you guys talk alike. Ben said, no, we don't talk alike. We just ate the same kind of dirt when we was kids. <laughs> we just ate it on the fly. It'd, become, it'd fly past us and we'd get a mouthful of it. Oh man. What well, was there like a a certain thing that you saw when you were young that just struck a nerve and made you wanna decide to, you know, be in the arts or become an actor one day? Yeah, uh, uh watching those old uh uh movies, the uh uh the B Westerns, but also some of the other uh things like uh, John Ford uh, uh, cavalry pictures where they'd send uh, send Ben off when they didn't know what to do with it on the day they'd send Ben off and get the Indians to chase him, you know and uh, I got to be a big fan of Ben Johnson when I was, uh, he's about the age of my dad I think they were born the same year 1918 and uh so we got to be good friends later on, but uh, I was a big fan of his when I was a kid because uh, he was the only guy that on in the movies that I could see that could uh, that could ride a horse and talk. Uh, he'd rather ride a horse than talk, but uh, he one time asked me, <laughs> we doing, we're doing Northern Exposure, he'd come riding his horse over to me and said, why in the hell did you take that part? I said, what, you mean that television show? He said, yeah, why'd you take that? I said, don't you like it? He said, well, it's all right. It's too damn much dialogue. (laughs) I'd rather ride 100 miles horseback (laughs) than say two lines of dialogue. (laughs) Uh, Man, how did you get into theater acting? Uh, Well, that kind of developed little later i i got to where i i wanted to be an actor but first i wanted to be a cowboy actor but i didn't want to be a cowboy because i knew they had to work too hard and i've always been by nature a lazy person and uh which i think most people are if they just let themselves go but uh anyhow i, I always wanted to be an actor and then i realized well there's a uh wide range of that you know you can do you can be a cowboy or you can be you can be almost anything so then i started reading uh some of the classic stuff shakespeare and some of that took me a little while to get where i could understand it 
but once you understand it, it's uh, it's pretty good stuff. So uh, I got caught up in that for a long time. I didn't uh, I didn't do uh, I, when I was in New York. I did one one part in a play that I played somebody from the South. I did mainly uh, Shakespeare and, and uh, Shaw and and all that stuff. You know, did did a lot of uh, Neil Simon. Did that kind of no, that kind of thing. I, d- I didn't do much uh, Southern character. And uh, then I got California, and they didn't want me to be anything but me, so that was, that made it a lot easier. Yeah. You may have to may have to hit us with a little Shakespeare. Not, not many yeah, people w- can pull that off the right way, but yeah. I know you can. Well, do you want me to do a little piece of it? Yeah, if you want to. All right. Uh, well, let's, uh, let me get myself in the right frame of mind for it. It's a little little piece from As You Like It. stands up pretty good by itself. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances. Each man in his time plays many parts. His acts being seven ages. At first, the infant, muling and puking in his nurse's arms, and the schoolboy with his satchel and shining morning face creeping like snail unwillingly to school. Then the lover, sighing like a furnace with a woeful ballad writ to his mistress, eyebrow and the soldier full of strange oaths bearded like the pard jealous in honor sudden quick in quarrel seeking the bubble reputation even in the cannon's mouth then the justice in fair round belly with good cape on lined, with eyes severe and beard of formal cut, full of wise souls and modern instances. So he plays his part. The next age shifts into the lean and slippered pantaloon with spectacles on nose, pouch on side, his youthful hose well saved, a world too wide for his shrunk shank, his big manly voice turning again to childish treble, pipes and whistles in its sound. The next age that ends this strange, eventful history, the second childishness and mere oblivion, sans teeth, sans taste, sans eyes, sans everything. Wow, I got to give you a, a applause for that one. First well, time I give applause on here, but I, I had to give that. that 
How many years did you did you do that? Did I do uh, mainly? Uh, well, I did. I did a lot of Shakespeare festivals. I ended up with the uh, American Shakespeare Festival in Stratford, Connecticut, which no longer exists. It's uh, it uh, it ended I don't know, a few years ago, but it was. Uh, uh, I did Colorado Shakespeare Festival. I did a lot of guest artists playing various Shakespeare characters in colleges and so forth. So I did I, I did that about uh, for about ten years, I guess, and then branched out into other stuff. Finally, I went to California and uh, couldn't get arrested for about two years. Had to go back to New York, go back to regional theater and different things to make a living. And then I got uh, a part in a movie that changed my whole, the whole direction of my career. Uh, a movie called Urban Cowboy. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was my first feature, uh, uh, well, studio feature film. And it, uh, Sort of made uh, made a direct shift. People thought I was. Uh, they'd gone down to Houston, found me working in a uh, petrochemical plant on the, in the Ship Channel, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I, I was uh, I was considered a kind of a natural find. They didn't know about all the years of preparation coming up. It was it was interesting. The the switch, the big switch. Yeah. And you've, that was your first, I guess, big break on, on film. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was, uh, I'd done a little television, a little bit of, of uh, independent film stuff, but uh, that was my first big, big one. And then it followed up with, uh, before that was released, I did uh, the sheriff on Dallas. Yeah. And I ended up in, Coming back and arresting everybody that lived south or except Miss Ellie. Yes, I, I have. I have those on DVD. And then I went uh, at the same time. I did uh, a warden in Stir Crazy, and I did a, a gambler in Any Which Way You Can. And uh, all those were released the same summer wow. in 1980. So that gave me a a kind of a variety of things that people people kind of came to know me as that and then uh, I did uh, did the thing called the Thornbirds a couple of years later it was uh, it t- took place in Australia but they didn't want to use an Australian accent because uh, Barbara Stanwyck didn't think it was a very attractive accent she wanted to uh, use an Irish accent and so we all had to do Irish accents, except for Brian Brown, who was an Australian, but he played a New Zealander <laughs> in the in the show. So anyway, people wrote to me. I got a bunch of letters saying that I'd been faking all along and that I was not uh, really from Texas. Wow. I said no, no, I'm from uh, I'm from uh, uh, from Michigan or somewhere. I, I'd say. Michigan or or uh, Vermont or something, you know. <laughs> so I've been faking it. Wow. Uh, you mentioned Dallas. That's probably the first time I, I 
saw you because me and my granddaddy would watch all those shows back then. Yeah. Um, what do you, any, any thing that stands out about that time with Larry Hagman or Jim Davis or. Well, uh, Jim, they'll always try to get Jim's. Uh, I don't think I'm letting any, any, uh, classified information out. They'd try to get Jim's, uh, dialogue before lunch because at lunch he liked to have a few martinis. Ah. Uh. And he said to me one time, I walked past his dressing room. He said, Barry, come in there. He had three hot dogs and a pitcher of martinis. He said, damn right, have a martini. I said, no, thank you, Jim. I got some dialogue this afternoon. He said, tell him to get it in the morning. He was a nice guy. And Larry, uh, I always liked Larry. He, he was, he was kind of funny. He, uh, he said, well, how'd you like the show, uh, last week? I said, well, I don't know, Larry, they pay me to do them. They don't pay me to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> that may have been the last time I worked on Dallas for a while. <laughs> <laughs> that was a hell of a show. I mean, the, the story, the, the characters, you know, oh, yeah. the whole thing, man. Good time on that. I had a good uh, good deal on it. And Larry, I think somebody, I think Patrick Duffy told me that uh, when uh, when Larry was in the hospital, he was, nobody knew how sick he was that uh, when they were doing the New Dallas. You know, right. He was trying to finish out that season. He'd go in for a transfusion. About once a week, and uh, he uh, mentioned that he, uh, like Patrick told me this, somebody told me, he mentioned that he wanted me to read the will on the show. Oh, how about that? Well, I had to come in as another character, as a lawyer, and read the will. That wow. Was, I thought that was, that was a good thing. That was nice to hear. That's a, that's a, gotta be an honor. I guess it's true. I don't know. That's what somebody told me that. Well, yeah, I watched so, the, I watched the reboot too. It was, uh, it was done really well. I thought the story yeah. was good. And you know, for, well, uh, you know, they had, they used the older people. Linda, yeah. uh, Ray was in it. And, uh, mm-hmm. Charlene was out, you know, and Patrick, it was, uh, it was good, uh, kind of a transitional thing. They were trying to make make it into a transition so the younger people carried it. Then uh, I don't know what happened with it, but they shot that all in Dallas. Yeah. When I it, they they shot everything. Uh, they shot a lot of exteriors. They'd come to Dallas for about uh, two weeks, two or three weeks, and every season, and shoot a lot of exteriors. Yeah. And then go back and shoot the rest of it. Uh, all the stuff at South Fork that I did was was in the studio, mm-hmm. MGM. And uh, but everything was. Everybody thought they shot all of it in Dallas or in Texas, but they didn't. They shot very little in Texas in the first uh, deal. And when they brought it back, almost all of it was shot in Texas. Yeah. And that came right after that role came right after Urban Cowboy. You said, "Yeah, yeah." I think that was uh, 
I'm not sure, but I think that was the first thing after I got back from doing Urban Cowboy that I went in and uh, they hired me to do that. It was just supposed to be a one. Uh, I think it was a two-part uh, cliffhanger at the end of the season. Yeah. I read somebody. I think I arrested Jock. I'm not sure who I arrested you that did. You said, I'm sorry to do this or something, but I got to yeah. arrest you or something. Yeah. I, I, I arrested everybody on there. <laughs> uh, Miss Elliot stand down. She'd worry about who I was going to be arresting next. <laughs> and you was probably thinking the whole time how you couldn't get arrested. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I think I, you know, I, I lasted so long in there that uh, Howard Keel came in and took uh, Jim's place. Yeah. I think I arrested him one time. Oh, really? I don't remember that one. <laughs> I think I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh you guys start on mash yeah one time did you did you go out to the uh was that filmed out there at the at the site like where it is now uh, no my all my stuff was filmed at uh uh at 20th century fox and on the lot there okay all my stuff was inside, you know, in the tents and all that stuff. So I wasn't, I was never out on location with it. I went out there a few years ago before the, the Malibu Creek state park. Yeah. Uh, before it burned in the fire, I heard oh, a lot yeah. of it got destroyed. <laughs> it was something else. It was about a six mile hike. Yeah. But it was amazing. There those peaks were those mountains. I mean, you could see, yeah. you know, there's no, yeah, no question. It looked like Korea, but I don't know. I've never been to Korea, so I wouldn't be able to tell you that. It just it looked very familiar to to that, and and it was uh, you, you know, know all that stuff, all those all those old western towns, all that out there has burned down. Uh, Universal Western Town burnt down, and uh, uh, Warner Brothers did. All of them burned down. Really? And then, of course, the ones out out in the <coughs> out where they had the grass fires, they all went to. But there's not anything left in California much. They still have old Tucson. They still have some of those. They still have a couple here in Texas, but they don't have nearly as much as they used to. Nothing. We got to start start making more movies because we're losing all the all the stuff that we need to make them. I mean, the, all the wagons are getting in disrepair. You no, know, or no movie horses anymore that anybody can get on. Look mm. like they know what they're doing. It's a it's a different world now, ain't it? Oh yeah. Well, it changes. Everything changes. Everybody, everybody thinks everything's going to hell, but it's all staying about the same. It just changes a little bit. Yeah, it's. Uh, I told an old friend of mine. A friend of mine said, "Well, everything's just going to pieces. We're not going to ever have have the world like it was." I said, "No, but it'll be something different." It will, yeah. yeah, we we'll look back on this as as the good old days. Yeah. Hard to believe, but you're probably right compared to yeah. what's coming down the road. Yeah, well, I I didn't. Uh, I always thought that uh, till I till I turned about seventy, 
that uh, that it was we were living in unique times. After I turned seventy, now I'm eighty, and I figure we're uh, we're just doing the same thing over and over again, making the same mistakes, putting our putting our feet in the same gopher holes. We just, well, just get used to it because that's where it's going to be until we blow each other up, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> we're getting too smart for our own britches. You know, we're getting too smart. we got to quit being so warlike and start trying to figure out how to get along. I wish we could, man. I do, too. I think we can. I, I think it's just, uh, I think it's, I think it's a minority of the population. I think the majority of the people are sitting right in the middle looking over here and thinking, what in the world are these folks doing Yeah, on both sides? I do, too. I do, too. I mean, I try to I try to think there's still humanity left out there. You just ain't going to hear about it on the, on the news. Yeah. No. No. Oh. Um, no. You go back to some of these little towns, you know, most people are doing okay. They're getting a lot of misinformation. That's the main problem. You get all this misinformation, yep. and then you don't know what to do with it. You know, you get all this stuff coming in on your phone and on your, on your home computer, and there's no way to vet it. There's no way to say, well, is this just some nut talking or is it somebody real? Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot, half the time, not even anybody there. Some, some, uh, somebody over in, uh, Tasmania or somewhere punching buttons. Yeah. That's true. No, we, you know, we don't need to be taking it. We need to talk to our neighbors and figure out what we need. Yeah. We figure out what we need. And then the neighbors over here figure out what they need. And we all try to get together and we try to do that. Amen. But I'm not uh, I'm not a statesman, and I damn sure don't want to be a politician. Oh, Somebody no, please don't. For office, I said, I, I don't want to have a job where I'm guaranteed that half the people are going to hate me when I get in. <laughs> I've been in six months. Uh, half of those people are going to want to kill me. Uh-huh. I want to be loved. That's why I'm in the business I'm in. I want people to love me. Yeah. Yeah, and, but, and you can't you know, be honest and be a politician either, so. No, if you try to be honest, they'll lynch you. Yeah. We need more more leaders, yeah. know, people that think for themselves instead of have somebody think for them. Yeah, yeah, or try to do what, uh, uh, try to second guess what the general population wants them to do. Yeah. You know, right. you can't do. You got. You got to have. You got to have your own. Your own uh, morality, and follow that. Yeah. If you don't do, we're all lost. That's right. That's right. Uh, you did the uh, honky tonk man. I think was the name of it with Clint Eastwood. Yeah. yeah. Is that was that the first time you had ever met Clint? Was working with him there? No, I worked with him on uh, any which way you can first, and then he called me and asked me to do the honky tonk man. So it was uh, 
I always liked Clint. Those are the only two pictures I did with him. Right after that, I lost weight. I went in and, uh, you know, I was kind of fat back before, and I lost this, about 25, 30 pounds. I went in to loop, uh, I think it's Honky Tonk, man. I was going to do some dialogue replacement. He looked at me and said, what are you trying to do? Be Burt Reynolds? <laughs> Quit losing weight. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> never did after that. <laughs> I don't know if that had something to do with it or what. But. Well, uh, speaking of Burt Reynolds, he's on the best little whorehouse in Texas, too. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and the the uh, man who loved women, Burt Reynolds. Yeah. Uh, how was he? How was he on the the set of the best little whorehouse in Texas? Well, that was the first time I worked with him, and I didn't work with him a whole lot in that one. Uh, he was he was good. I always liked Bert. We we got to be friends in this uh, in that man who loved women because we, we did a lot of improvisation in that. Blake Edwards wrote it. He said, "Don't worry about any of that stuff. Let's just let's just have some fun." So like we just that. we just uh, we we had fun. Uh, my dad did it with me. I took my dad to see it. He he was uh, he, he he didn't like all this sex stuff on in movies. You know this that movie is about a, about Burt Reynolds trying to uh, trying to get every woman in America in bed with him. Yeah, and uh, my dad sat there and watching it. And uh, we went home, and I said, "Well, Dad, what would you think about that?" He lit him a camel cigarette and he said, Well, you were good as always, but for the rest of it, I'd just been sitting on the top rail of a breeding pen for two hours. <laughs> wouldn't have been embarrassed by my own species behaving that way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me. Uh, what about Dolly? Did you you think she was nice? Met her one time. Uh, we were not on lo- uh, she she was not on location much. Most of my stuff was done down in uh, Victoria, Texas. Okay, and and most most of her stuff was done at uh, Universal Lot. I met her one day, and we said hello and got a picture taken with her. She's a tiny little woman. And uh, we, uh, you know, just spoke for a few minutes. That's the only time I ever met her. Mm. I'd like to meet her some more, but I don't know if we'd ever get that chance. But she, she was, I liked her pretty much. You know, she seemed like a nice person. Yeah. Hell of a songwriter. Yeah. Underrated yeah. as a songwriter. Yeah, she's one of the best. She's uh, she's up there with with uh, Cindy Walker, I think. Yeah, she is uh, just she's very poetic, you know. Yeah, in her word, I, I like in 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 uh, songwriting. You know, Chris Christopherson. Yeah, Tom T. Hall, Shel Silverstein. Yeah, that yeah. that Poet. kind of thing. Poet. Yes, that's what. Uh, uh, old Marty Mitchell told me, said he was out, out with the wagon and his uh, sister had sent him an album of uh, 
Chris Christopherson, one of his early albums. And uh, he said they threw it in there in, in, in the uh, truck wagon with all the bedrolls and broke the record. But he had all the lyrics written out in the, uh, in the uh, inside of the album. And so Moad did sit there and read those lyrics. He thought it was just poetry. So he started writing poetry. And he told he told Chris one time, he said, You're my you're the one that got me started writing poetry. How about that? And uh so Chris's stuff, it, it stands up as poetry, you know, you just you read it and it's uh, pretty profound stuff. Yeah, it is. Tom T. Hall. Yes. All of them. Willie. Yeah. You know, uh, how many people can write a song crazy and make it yeah. so simple, but it's just, it's, it's, it, it's yeah. so relatable and so poetic at the same time. And Merle Haggard, yeah. you know, all of the guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's what I was, what I was raised on, you know, and I was doing a movie with Chris one time and they were sitting around playing around with the guitars and messing with songs. And this one, one young guy had written a song and, uh, Chris listened to it and said, said, play that, play that verse again. They did the verse again. He said, do you think this would be better if you change this word to this word? And I forget what word it was. And the guy went back, played it again, changed the word changed the whole meaning of it Mm -hmm. and uh he said yeah that's better chris yeah i thought that'd work better (laughs) (laughs) he's he's uh he's he's, uh he's a real craftsman oh yeah by far yeah have you kept in touch with him uh no i haven't seen him in in a couple of years Last time I saw him, he wasn't doing real good, but yeah, he's uh, he was he sang some of his songs, but he had to have the TV, had to have the teleprompter up there. Yeah, <sighs> that's man, we're all getting old. Did you see the Glenn Campbell documentary after he was one, diagnosed uh, with Alzheimer's? Yeah. The one that James. Uh, Keach made. Yeah. Yeah. That, no, I didn't see it. And I was talking to Stacy while James is on the road with him. I I've been I meant to see it, but I haven't seen it yet. That was pretty amazing how he couldn't you know, Glenn would forget down to his kids' names certain days. Yeah. He didn't even know their names, but he could play all them guitar parts still. Yeah. Yeah, he, he could do amazing. that. That's a that that that's a different uh, that's a different deal. That's a, that that's a tactical. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, the feeling that you you feel the yeah you feel that yeah you do. It's like my mother, my mother in law, uh, she gets off on a deal sometime. Said I've got to go back home. I've got to go because she lives with us and has, has lived with us for, for six years. And she says, I've got to go home. 
or at least I've got to, I've got to call my mother. Well, she's uh, nearly 90 years old. And our, our, my mother-in-law is. So her, her mother'd be uh, 130. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, I've got, to, I've got to make sure everything's okay. I've got to take care of my bank deal. I've got to check, make sure the house is all right. Yeah. And I said, well, you don't have that house anymore. Yeah. He said, well, what happened to it? I said, well, you sold it before you moved to Florida. She said, I moved to Florida. Mm. I said, yeah, you moved to Florida. And then you came here to see us with your husband. And you fell and broke your hip. Said I did. Said yeah. You've been living with us ever since. You both moved here from Florida. Said well, what happened in Florida? I said when you sold the house in Florida. Said I don't remember Florida. Mm. And I said well, no, but you don't need to remember Florida. All you need to remember is that you're home now. Yeah. She said, well, can we call my mother? And I said, no, we don't have a phone line where she is. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. You know, I said, I said you'll, you'll be able to talk to her soon, but we don't have a phone line where she is. Mm. You know, it's you can't upset poor people like that because it, 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 there's no point in trying to, trying to talk sense to them because you just confuse them. Right. And she doesn't remember any. And she can she can remember something that happened 50, 70 years ago, mm-hmm. but she can't something that happened yesterday. Yeah. And uh, you know, I don't know how that works, but I do know that you can't argue with them. You can't try to say, "Well, you know, you you really don't live there, or your mother's dead." Yeah. You know, you can't say that to somebody. No. At, at that point, you just gotta just kind of go along. Go yeah, along well, you it. wish you could. You wish you could, but it doesn't do anything. Just confuse the situation and make them more confused, and and it uh, it and ultimately do do them harm. So you do, you know try to do you try to do as much good in the world as you can. Yeah, I told kids, I said everybody has a choice. You can leave the world a little bit better or you can leave the world a little bit worse. And the choice is to leave it a little bit better. I mean, nobody's going to do a lot of harm unless you're Hitler or or Stalin or somebody. And nobody's not going to do a lot of good unless you're Jesus or somebody. But, you know, try to leave it a little better. Yeah. If we all do that, then we're making strides forward. If, if we all leave it a little worse, then then we're going to finally destroy it. So let's try to leave it a little better. Wise words. Well, that's from living a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody said one time, I can't remember who it was. Talking about, you know, calling people legends. And uh, I can't remember who it was, or Alan Jackson or, or somebody. And he said, uh, I about have decided that 
all that is is if you if you live long enough they just start calling you a legend yeah. <laughs> i thought about that, that. i thought that kind of sounds right you know yeah well most of the legends uh my, my, most of my legends are already passed to the next world so mine too a lot of them have there's a few hanging around i mean in the music business you know there's there's a few that are still out there but the, that old that old uh crew there i mean they're 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 thinning out the ones that i really grew up on i mean i like all kinds of music um but what made me who i am i think as a as a songwriter and an artist and a lot of as a person those guys are, are not not many of them are with us anymore but you know that's part of life all right well here we are we're we got different clothes on i think and yeah y'all are probably wondering why well we we kind of had a had a dropout on the zoom call so uh we're back now yeah it's been a few days we we <laughs> gonna pick up somewhere along the way <laughs> catch up or get lost one yeah uh i wanted to uh talk to you about stir crazy whenever to get to talk about that of course course it was uh you know richard Pryor and gene wilder but uh uh, also a guy was in there that i've always really thought was underrated as an actor i really liked though uh craig t nelson yeah uh yeah that was uh that was one of craig's early pictures uh we uh we talked about it uh, after we auditioned together, and uh, he said, "What do you think about this?" I said, "Well, I don't know. I'm I'm going to do it uh, if they offer it to me. I don't know what you want to do." And he said, "Well, I don't know." I said, "Well, let's just play it bare and see what happens." And we next thing you knew, they called us and wanted us both to do it. So it was uh, it was kind of interesting. So you auditioned together, like, did you read different characters for an audition? Yeah, I read the warden and he read the the main guard, you know? Yeah. And uh, then we worked together again in in the thing about a a test pilot. And I played a CIA operative in the thing. I I did two or three episodes of it. It was a family thing about this... uh, test pilot who was involved with the uh, espionage and so forth uh i don't remember the name of it even but uh we'd worked together in that we haven't worked together in a while but let's see there was parenthood i think for Nian parenthood something like that where he played a the uh father of a family anyway he wanted to buy a fender for a car and he came out to this junkyard where I was running the junkyard. That's the last time we worked together. And I threw a fender at him. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I threw a fender at him. Well, that was, uh, it, that was an interesting movie though, because they shot the uh, stuff in the prison in uh, maximum security at uh, Arizona state prison in Florence, Arizona, which is by the way, right where, uh, 
Tom Mix got killed uh, in 1940. He had the car wreck, ran off into an arroyo, and uh, a trunk that was he carrying on the back of his car hit him in the back of the neck, broke his neck, killed him. My goodness. But uh, uh, we shot it at, at that uh, prison there. And uh, whenever we'd go in, we'd have to go through a bunch of doors, you know, have to wait for those doors to close the next ones to open. Yeah. Every time they'd close, they'd clang shut, you know. And uh, Richard would get more and more. He'd, he'd jump every time they'd shut those doors behind him. <laughs> he'd, he'd go in there, and he'd go sit in the corner and watch. <laughs> and uh, he did a comedy routine after that. He said, that. he said, you know, I used to worry about these guys in prison, but after doing that movie, I realized that's where most of them need to be. <laughs> and he was, he was, uh, he, he's really nervous in there. I think he's afraid they're going to keep him. Uh, yeah. and, uh, but Gene would go out there and he, he was, uh, the, all these extras were, uh, actually, uh, criminals, you know, they, they were in there for, for serious crimes, you know, oh. they were maximum security prisoners. Right. And uh, Gene would play basketball with him, elbowing him out of the way and all that stuff. He wow. he was quite an athlete. He had a good time. Richard was on his guard the whole time we were in there. Was Richard a prankster on the crew? No, the- not at all. Not at all. He was very quiet. Very quiet, man. I, you know, I, I liked him. We, we had some conversations, but never joking. I mean, it was always you know, just serious yeah. conversations. A lot of comedians are real serious people. They are. And most of them are not very happy people. They're not. Most of them, most of them are putting on a, this, this comedy and that that's a character they play. Oh yeah. And most of them are, are not, uh, they're, they're not the upbeat folks that you think they are. Yeah. That's true. Any of them that I've ever met really, with the exception of like one have been pretty sad people. Well, they've got a, uh, yeah, they, they, they've got an insecurity about them that, uh, that started out, uh, probably in infancy and, uh, you don't know what starts it, but, uh, but it, they, they all have this, uh, this, uh, uh, pessimism about them. Yeah. And it's, uh, uh, you know, it, uh, and I've I've come to expect it from people who make their living in comedy. You know, it's uh, they they do that so they so they can uh, they really doing it to cheer themselves up, right? That's and to uh, I don't know, I, I it's it's a it's a strange psychology, but uh, I've I've known very few comedians who who were uh, truly happy people. Yeah. Um, you know, I've heard things and I know you guest start on, on Matlock with Andy Griffith. Yeah. Uh, I've heard things about Andy from people that knew him or that worked with him, that he was a very peculiar man. Yeah. 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 He, well, he was, he was, uh, uh, he was, he, he was another one who was, uh, a very complicated fella, you know? He would uh, uh, he would kind of pick on people, you know. He'd find a 
a weakness and somebody need pick on pick at that you know huh i i saw it i i never did i never was uh uh, a victim of it or anything, but I saw it in him, you know, and his dealings with other people. But uh, I, I always got along with Andy Fine, but we did. Uh, first time we worked together was in the thing called Murder in Texas. He played the father of, uh, um, no, um, anyway, he played this, uh, this, this young, uh, young lady's father and she's murdered by her husband and he he goes on a uh deal to try to get her husband uh prosecuted mm. so it was uh he was playing a pretty intense part in that and he uh we had a few scenes together and uh and he was a, he was a fine actor he was a very good actor i mean as far as and besides from comedy he was he was very, very good uh, at playing uh, uh, tough guys. You know, there was one one movie he made where he played a guy that was hunting people. He'd take them hostage and put them on this island and, and hunt them. Mm. And uh, he he was very good in that. He was he was a good actor and a and an interesting person. He had some uh, he had some. Uh, health problems of some kind. I think he he was, uh, and I don't know what it was. I think he was paralyzed for a short time, and mm. they didn't know whether it was permanent or not. But he was uh, he was an interesting guy. Did you ever come across Don Knotts? I never did. Never met him. Yeah, they were they were close friends. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Andy Don Notch. Yeah. Uh, Andy didn't have many close friends. There weren't uh, there weren't many people that were really tight with him. Yeah, he was a hell of an actor. Uh I've I've got the movie uh Murder in Coweta County. Yeah. And it's based on the true story and Johnny Cash is the sheriff. And Andy's the the villain in there. That's that's a pretty yeah. good. It was a made for TV movie. I'm, you've probably seen it. No, I never saw that one. One of my favorites that he did, uh, that Andy did, was facing the crowd. He did that with uh, Elia Kazan. That was a real complicated kind of a character, and uh, and not uh, not real far removed from what Andy uh, really. Uh, really was he wasn't that that villainous and that uh, egocentric but he was uh, he was looking that he had a little more in common with that than he did in the character played in no time for sergeants yeah but it was very complicated character to play and he, he played it very well you uh you worked with tom Selleck too in uh crossfire trail i believe crossfire trail and uh uh, uh, Monty Walsh. There's a okay. couple of other ones, you know. He, uh, he's one of those guys. I feel like it's just a genuine, a genuine guy. You know what you see is what you get. Great well, actor. he, yeah, he was a, uh, he was, he grew up in in Southern California there, and uh, 
he uh, he's uh, he's one of these fellas that he stays away from the Hollywood crowd pretty much. He tries to. Yeah. When he's when he's at home, he's at home. And uh, I I like Tom uh, a lot, but I I don't really know him that well. Yeah. I got to know Sam Elliott uh, a little better than I know Tom. Tom's kind of a private fella, kind of a private person. He's, uh, you know, he's got his circle of friends, and he's he kind of stays in that. He stays out of the Hollywood scene. Yeah, Magnum PI was is probably my favorite show ever. Yeah, and he was so good in that. I love the. Uh, well, he did a great job in that, and, and but all the all the characters surrounding him were good too. Oh yes, John Hillerman. Yeah. Did you ever work with John? No, I never did. He was from Texas originally. Yeah. Uh, I never did work for uh, work with him. I never did meet him, but uh, I know a lot of people who did know him. No, he was great. That uh, that was just a brilliant show. You know, uh, the cast, the, the writing, yeah. everything. Um, you, you was, uh, well, most people probably know you from Lonesome Dove, I guess. Well, yeah, a lot of people know me from that. There's a, it's really interesting. There's, there's, there's groups of people that know me for different things. Uh, teenage, uh, or like middle-aged women now know me from, uh, from One Tree Hill, they liked that coach yeah. that I put One Tree Hill. They thought I was very wise and uh, and gave good advice. I said, well, that was, you get mixing me up with the writers there. They're writers. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd be a pretty good coach. We'd have a lot of fun, but we wouldn't win any games. Yeah. That was, uh, that show was on quite a few years, wasn't it? Yeah, it was on for quite a long time. I was on for the first four seasons, I guess, while the kids were in high school. When they graduated from high school, I was pretty much out of it by that time. But it was uh, it was a good show, and uh, was not not really the kind of show that I watched mainly. But uh, it was right. I thought for for the type of show it was, it was very good. Yeah. Oh. Uh- the uh, Lonesome Dove was so well put together, too. I really well, that enjoy. Was, that was originally based on a, uh, the the book that Larry McMurtry wrote was originally a screenplay written for uh, John Wayne, Henry Fonda, and, uh, and uh, Jimmy Stewart. Mm. And uh, they were going to do that. Warner Brothers commissioned him to write it for them. And then they got to arguing about which part each wanted to play. And they then finally, uh, uh, Fonda had some heart trouble and, and Wayne got sick. And, uh, so it just kind of fell to the wayside and he, and, uh, McMurtry bought it back from him and made it that massive novel. Well, you couldn't tell that story in a two hour screenplay. I mean, it would be, uh, it'd be, uh, there's too much material there. Yeah. So it's a good thing that he bought it back and wrote the novel because then it became a miniseries, which is what it really should have been to start with. Yeah, it was, it was great. It's, I think it's still 
holes up. He's talking about John Wayne. What was the movie where he played Genghis Khan? Oh, that was The Conqueror. Yeah. That they filmed out in, uh, like, uh, out there in the desert outside of Las Vegas where they uh, tested all those bombs. Yeah. And uh, about half the cast of it uh, uh, finally died of cancer. Dick Powell was the director. John Wayne uh, and uh, Pedro Armendariz. And, uh, Agnes Moorhead, I think. Agnes Moorhead, she died of cancer. Of course, they were all heavy smokers, too, so that doesn't, that doesn't help anything much. But Yeah. That, that, uh, all, those, uh, all those nuclear tests might have had something to do with it. Yeah, I read a story one time about that, and it had a black and white picture of John Wayne and his son. And they were bent down, and there's a little creek uh, down there somewhere on set, and he had his son out there, and they were, you know, it was kind of ironic because nobody knew, of course, where what that really was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, well, which one was it? Was it uh, Patrick or was it Ethan? I'm not sure which one it was. I think Ethan was, Ethan was uh, probably born. He was born during the searchers i think and uh so it, it'd be uh, that'd be before him it'd be, probably be patrick yeah i'm not sure which one it I was had, yeah uh well uh you worked with bill cosby on ghost dad too yeah ghost dad and uh uh yeah that's the only one i worked with with cosby on uh, uh, Sidney Poitier, who directed Stir Crazy, also directed Ghost Dad. I watched that he, movie a lot. Yeah. That was a fun. Yeah, he, uh, Cosby was an interesting fella. I, I really liked him. We got along very well. Uh, and, uh, he, uh, I think for, I think he did a lot of good in the world. And I think, you know, as we all do, he did some harm, but he did a lot of good too. Yeah. Well, he, he definitely, uh, I mean, the Cosby show, that, that thing was huge. Yeah. People, people forget. Well, it was the first time that they, uh, they showed, uh, uh, a middle-class, black family with a couple of professional, uh, she was a lawyer and he was a doctor, uh, a doctor. and, uh, it's the first time they showed it that it was not, uh, uh obviously, I mean, it, it, it could have been any, any, it could have been a Chinese family. It could have been a white family. It could have been any kind of family, you know? Yeah. And that's, uh, that was a big breakthrough. And also, Bill uh, did that uh, did that thing with Bob Culp, uh, I Spy, and that's the first time that they had a uh, a, a black and uh, black hero and a, and a white hero in the same picture together. You know, in the same series. I mean, uh-huh. uh huh. He was he was uh, he was Culp's coach, and he was supposed his cover was he was a tennis player and. And uh, Cosby is supposed to be his coach, but that was a that was a breakthrough too. Yeah, I remember. I remember your accent that you had in Ghost Dad. <laughs> when I yeah. think about that, you had that accent. 
Well, that's what uh, uh, what Sydney said. Said because uh, they originally set me up and put, put me, took me over to King's Western Wear and put me in a Western suit. And he said, "No, no, we've done that. We did that. Let's make this a uh, make him a Harvard MBA." Yeah. And I said, "All right, that sounds good to me. Let's do it." So that's what we did. I still like that movie. Uh, no country for old men is just an amazing movie. And, and, you know, Tommy Lee Jones and Woody Harrelson, both, I, I really like both of them. Um, both just great actors, just like you are, you know, uh, that that one scene where you're just where you're telling that story in that movie just just you just have people in the palm of your hand i feel like well that was uh uh they didn't cast me in that movie for a long time that uh, uh i knew they were putting it together i knew they were doing the, the movie because my son went and auditioned for him early on with the, in the thing but uh they didn't call me until, uh, oh, about, uh, uh, you know, just a few weeks before they were going into production with it. And they called my, my manager and asked, asked if I'd be, if I would do this part, said it's one scene, uh, with Tommy. And I said, well, sure. I'll, I'll look at it. And, uh, so I read, read the script. I always read from first to back, you know, so I know what the whole overall yeah. story is and where my character fits in. Right. And I, of course I couldn't find Ellis anywhere. I reading along and there's all this bloodletting and shooting bolts in people's head and all this stuff. So, well, I don't know if I want to do this or not. <laughs> then we got to that scene where old Ellis is talking about, uh, all the, He's really uh, making the making the whole movie clear. It, mm-hmm. it tells the whole story in that one scene. Yeah. And uh, so I said, uh, I called my manager up. I didn't even finish the script. I called him up and I said, well, hell yeah, I'll do it. That part is the movie. I mean, mm-hmm. that's uh, if somebody stays that long in the movie, that explains this whole thing. Yeah. And, uh, so I, he called up the Cohen brothers and they asked me to come and rehearse, uh, in New Mexico. My, my part was shot in Marfa, Texas. Well, they were rehearsing in New Mexico up in, in uh, Santa Fe. And, uh, so I went, I, I flew out there. And then I had to go do another short movie, uh, where I was horseback for, for two weeks. Hmm. And, uh, up in Kansas, and so they they had the, the Cohen brothers had to hire a private plane to fly me from Kansas down to Marfa because there was no airport in the part of Kansas I was in. There's no airport in Marfa, yeah. So they had to hire a private plane fly me down there to do that one scene, and uh, so I went down. We did the scene, did it one day. And uh, came did some pickups the next morning, and then I was done. And I wow. went over and said, uh, "I said uh, uh, to think it is uh, 
uh, Joel, I said, do you, do you guys ever give anybody direction? <laughs> and he said, well, if you, if we cast it right, we don't have to. <laughs> I thought, well, that's, my, that's about the most profound thing I've ever heard the director say. That sure is. <laughs> Cause he never, they, they never said anything to either Tommy Lee or me in the whole, the, the whole time we were doing it. They just whispered to each other and said, all right, let's do it again. Wow. And then they'd move the camera and shoot another angle and do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But they never, they never said a word to us. They just let us go. Huh? That's why it feels so real. Yeah. Sometimes you get well, the best stuff. You know, out of the, that. Sometimes, sometimes the best direction is no direction. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Same with music, really. You know, yeah. But people get these big shot producers to produce their records, but a true artist, I feel like just kind of, you know, if you got good musicians, man, just let them go, let them do their thing. Maybe you know, tell them. Uh, oh, cowboy. Uh, uh, you, you ever know cowboy Jack Clement? I, I know exactly who he is. I never met him though. Well, he was, uh, he, he, uh, produced a lot of, a lot oh, yeah. of big stuff. Yeah. He was responsible. He, he's, he's the one that kept Charlie Charlie Pride out of sight before they had that. Before he had three <laughs> three number one hits. Yeah, but he 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 got this idea, the Ring of Fire. You know Johnny Cash. So mm-hmm. he got the idea of getting those bullfight trumpets come in there. He had that idea, and that made that song. You know. Yeah, he, he would he wouldn't interfere except to do little things like that. Yeah, and he he was he was a smart smart fella. I knew him later on in his life. We got to be friends later, and uh, I was really impressed with him. He was a he, he was a great, not only a great musician, but he was also one of the most uh, original human beings I've ever run into. I believe that I've heard, I've heard quite a few people tell stories about Cowboy Jack. Yeah. Um, I wish I could have been around Nashville around that time of those guys, Harlan Howard and. Oh yeah, man. I mean, just all of them. Yeah. Well, I was lucky enough to, to come in to meet up quite a few of them and they were, uh, there's not any more like them, I'll tell you. No, that's like in the movies, you know. There's not, there's not no more, none of this bar fighting and stuff. This is uh, now, now it's all businessmen. Yeah. Uh, did do you know uh, Buddy Cannon? Who? Buddy Cannon. Uh. I, I seem to, uh, the name's familiar to me, but I can't place it. He, he's a longtime songwriter, musician, and he, he produces, uh, Kenny Chesney and Willie. Yeah. And, uh, he where just, does he live? He lives out in, um, Goodlettsville, I believe outside yeah. of Nashville. Uh, huh. he just went in the yeah. songwriters hall know, of fame. I know, I know of him, but I don't know him. Yeah. He's he's one of those guys, you know. Uh, he kind of discovered Jamie Johnson, and and really helped Jamie get out there a lot. Yeah. Um. 
the uh, speaking of music, you work with Toby Keith. Yeah. And beer for my horses. Yeah. He shot me right between the eyes and I deserved it. <laughs> did you know him before? That? I didn't, I, I didn't know him before we did that, but, uh, he's a good guy. He's a good guy to work with. Yeah. Uh, I had Tom Scarrett on. Yeah. And of course he's another like you, you know, he's just a great actor and just a genuine guy. You know, he, he's, uh, humbled and he, he, he he knows that how blessed he's been. You know, it's not yeah. an ego he's thing. He's still living up in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, in Washington. Yeah. Seattle, I believe, or outside of Seattle. Yeah, yeah I think he lives over on Whidbey Island or somewhere. Yeah. Um, I guess one thing a lot of people would want to know is back when uh, old Charlie Sheen lost his job and he started on anger management. You were basically right beside him the whole time on that show. <laughs> yeah. First and, thing Charlie said to me when I met him, he said, he said, everything you read about me is true. <laughs> and I said, well, Charlie, everything you read about me is true. He said, I haven't read anything about you. And I said, that's because I fly under the rail uh, under the, under the radar, you might should have tried it about 50 years ago. Oh, yeah. Too late for you now. <laughs> Did you know his daddy? Yeah, I met uh, Martin was on the show. He he came on there playing uh, Charlie's dad. Oh. And, and he said, he said, keep an eye on Charlie, will you? I said, I'll keep an eye on him, but I can't do anything with him. If you can't do anything with him, I sure as hell can't. <laughs> Did he ever talk about all the shit going on? Not really. Not really. We didn't talk about that much. I mean, I've got kids and he's got kids. My kids are about the same age as his kids. I, I, I said, we don't need to talk about it. I know what you, what's, what's happening. Yeah. And, uh, you just, uh, you know, I'll, I'll watch him. I'll drink whiskey with him. But I'll do whatever he wants to do, but I'm not going to try to control him. Oh, no. Well, you, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a, that's you'd have to just quit all your jobs. <laughs> no, well, I control my own kids, much less him. <laughs> I don't want to control anybody. That's why I'm not a director. Right. That's their job. Or at least yeah. on set anyway. Was was Charlie pretty focused like during that time on the on the um, work? Um Yeah, yeah. He's uh he was interested in making a good show. You know, he's, uh, a lot of, a lot of that stuff is, uh, is, it, it, it's real, but it's also, uh, enhanced. Right. He knew what he was I doing. Mean, yeah. He knows what he's doing. He's, he's, a he's a smart fella. I mean, for God's sakes, they had a tour, I think, where he just <laughs> went on and babbled on and sold every damn place out. Just, just talk. <laughs> <laughs> get out there and just talk about tiger blood and watch it. Yeah. I mean, it, only one person could pull that off, I believe. He he, he used it to his well, advantage, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I like Charlie. He's a good guy. I haven't talked to him now. Uh, since He's gone into kind of seclusion now. He doesn't, uh, 
you know, he keeps up. It, it, I know his uh, his stunt double and some of those guys. They they see him once in a while, but he's he's pretty much in seclusion now. He's sold a bunch of his stuff and put a bunch of his money into a foundation. He's he's uh, he's kind of taking it easy, making sure he's he's uh, staying as healthy as he can. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah. It's a very good thing. Um, you, uh, I saw a video and, uh, it was, it was, uh, you know how the comic cons, they have panels and they'll have yeah. three or four of the cast of a certain movie or a show and the audience ask questions. They were talking about you coming on to guest star on modern family and, Ed O'Neill said that you were just a brilliant actor. Have you saw that? No, I didn't. I didn't see that. He did. He he, he got a big smile. And <laughs> I'll tell you what, he's one of the most uh, he's one of the most creative fellas around. And uh, I could, I mean, I'm I'm glad that he that he considers me uh, a creative person because he's one of the most creative fellas around. You don't. I, I, I admire Ed a lot. You don't really he, hear he, a lot about him, huh? You really don't hear a lot about him. No, you don't. He's uh, he kind of keeps low profile. He's uh, uh, he lives uh, out somewhere, uh, somewhere, some suburb, of Los Angeles, and uh, he's got a house down the street from his family. <laughs> So he's, oh boy. he lives, uh, he, he lives with his family. And I think, it, I think officially that house, the house down the street is his office, but he kind of live, lives apart from them, you know, but he's, he's a good guy. Really a nice fella. Uh, I love the ranch. And of course, anything Sam Elliott does, I'm, I'm going to be tuned into that, you know. Uh, you and him together i love that pairing (laughs) well we've been friends for uh probably 40 years i guess so you know and we're not in touch with each other all the time but i you know several times a year we'll get on the phone and talk yeah he's a good man yeah sam and uh and his wife Catherine. she's wonderful woman they they uh they complimented each other real well. Did you audition for that show or did he want you on there? Uh, no, uh, actually I'm, I'm not sure what happened that the, the um, somebody, uh, they called me after they started shooting it. Uh, they were talking to me early on about doing a regular part on it. And I, I just don't, don't I'm, I'm too old to get tied up in series and I'm a lot of work. I don't, I don't do that same stuff every week. Uh, but, uh, then they called me in, I think it's just for one, uh, episode to where I was the vet. Yeah. And, uh, we came in and they were happy with what, what went on with the, uh, 
with relationship between uh, Sam and me mainly, but there's also, uh, you know, I've known Deborah for a long time. And uh, so they started calling me back, calling me back, and they, uh, they'd fly me out there and put me up in a hotel and give me a rent car and treat me like an infant, you know, which yeah. is what I always like. Mm-hmm. I like to go work because then I quit being a grown person. I just get taken care of. Yeah. Now I'm making, send my wife with me so she can make sure I get there on time so I don't have to do anything. You ain't got to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, what was the and then, and that, if, if they say bother me too much i say well look i'm i'm an old man you can't uh you can't expect a whole lot <laughs> yeah you gotta figure oh, it out yeah uh, uh yeah uh, uh what's uh uh martin uh Moe. martin Moe. He, he played the lawyer on that thing yeah we were, he was doing the scene one time and he, and he lost the train of thought. He couldn't think of the next line. And he turns to the live audience and said, he said, this is what you get when you hire somebody over 70. <laughs> said, I'm not trying to build a career. I'm trying to milk one. <laughs> that was probably different working in front of a live or had you worked in front of a live audience? I mean, I know you did theater. Oh, my whole, my whole early career was in front of a live audience. I did I did theater for yeah. for thirty years before I ever did a movie. But as far as like a sitcom situation with a No, oh, I'd done yeah, I'd done some, some of those before. They you know, they do a lot of those. Drew Carey show and all those they do in front of a live audience. I've heard Drew was a really nice guy. Yeah, I liked him. He's real down to earth guy, I've heard. I did two or three of his shows. That was a funny show too. Yeah. Oh, uh, he kind of he's kind of got him a good good little spot now. I would say. Oh yeah, he's good. They <laughs> lost some weight. Yeah. And I think he told him quit bringing him kegs of beer. They used to send him two or three kegs of beer over every week. Man, <laughs> I, I couldn't do it. I, I don't know how some of these people work. Yeah. I just uh, man, it's. It's brutal enough, all the hours you're putting in, but then you're doing, doing that. It's like, I, you know, I can't even drink a cold beer no more when I'm, while I'm singing, I'll have to have a, a little whiskey, a little Jack and Coke or beam and Coke or something Yeah, or a lukewarm, like room temperature water. Yeah. It just blows my voice out by the end of the night. If I drink something that's that cold, I love a cold yeah. beer, but I well, can't. I never had. I ne- I I never did get in the habit of where you can drink and work at the same time. You know, I don't uh, when I'm dr- when I'm working, I'm working. When I'm drinking, I'm drinking. Right. You can't mix them. No, don't mix it up. Is is there any any role you ever audition? Well, first of all, what was the re- what was the regular uh, spot that they wanted you for? that you didn't want interested in and and what the ranch oh in the ranch uh oh they were talking to him about playing uh playing his father Bo, and then they 
then they got Sam. So Sam was a uh, Sam in there, but I, I didn't much want to do that, uh, do that regular grind, you know? Yeah. Cause I don't live in California and I'm not going to move out there. I don't, I don't have any interest in that. No, it ain't nothing worth that. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I had a good time when I lived there, but then I moved to Texas about, uh, uh, 25 years ago, I guess I've been, been happy here ever since. So I'm not, uh, I'm not interested in moving to California or New York or anywhere like that. Yeah. Is there any role that you ever auditioned for that, that you, uh, didn't get that you, I mean, a big turned out to be a big role. Um, I don't think so. I mean, I've, uh, I've turned down some that I probably shouldn't have turned down. Uh, just because I wasn't right for it or something. I, I felt like somebody else could do it better. Uh, but, uh, I've, it's been so long since I've auditioned. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good you know, problem to have. Usually, I don't usually audition for things. Well, wow. uh, Ben Johnson one time told me, said, why are you reading for parts? He said, I never got a part that I ever read for. Well, Ben went to two, two years of school. That's why he, he couldn't read. Really. <laughs> what are you working on now? Anything? Uh, yeah, I'm working on uh, uh, this Martin Scorsese movie called Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, and I'm uh, I'm in a drop pickup situation. They, I work for a month, and then I'm off for the month of uh, July, and then I go back in August, and I'll work till uh, early September, I guess. So I'm uh, I'm involved in that, playing an undertaker. Yeah. Oh, wow. In 1922, Oklahoma. Oh, I'm going to have to see that for sure. Yeah, it, it ought to be a good picture. It's got uh, got uh, DiCaprio and De Niro, old guys. And uh, it's a true story. It's a, it's an interesting uh, story about how these uh, these bankers and ranchers stole the oil rights from the Osage Indians. Oh man. Early the early twentieth century. Hmm. That's gonna be good. Yeah. You just you ever look back at all this stuff and just wonder how everything happened, how everything come together. Well yeah, I think everybody does that. Fortunately I look back on it and and it's all pleasant you know mm -hmm. a lot of people look back and say well i worked like hell and never got anywhere yeah you know but i'm uh, i've always been i guess uh i guess lucky would be the word for it i don't know you got to be be prepared when your luck comes up but you you know a lot of it has to do with you you got to have lucky breaks too yeah but you got to have talent too, and you've got talent. Well, you got to have the talent. I mean, there's a lot of talented people who don't get anywhere. Oh yeah, and uh, it's not through any fault of their own either. It's just 
they, you know, it's not, uh, it's not their time. Yeah. Things have to come together all. It, yeah. Everything has to line, well, line like, up, you know, like the music business, like anything else, you know, you get, yeah. uh, you get somebody in the, uh, somebody a little behind the time or a little ahead of the time and you're, then you, that nobody knows what to do with you. Right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. The guys in Alabama, they've said, you know, how lucky that they know that they were because they, they wanted country music needed a bar band. Yeah. And it was just time and they were yeah. there. Yeah. But they're talented yeah. too. But like you said, just, uh, just, you know, some, uh, some producer decides to put two guys together. Yeah. You know, and, you know, they don't have anything in common, but they're all of a sudden they're Brooks and Dunn or somebody, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yep. It happens. People don't think about that part of it, but that's, that's kind of how it goes. Yeah. Well, Barry, I have sincerely enjoyed talking with you both times. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it. I hope it cuts together. All right. Oh yeah. All of y'all out there don't take anything too serious. Just take it just serious enough to where you get by. There you go. That's my advice for the day. That's some wise words. All this stuff is. We'll talk to you later. All right. Thank you.